0: hi everybody welcome again to another episode of the shop notes podcast this is john logan and phil your regular team here today for episode number 130 sponsored today by shaper tools they're the makers of the shaper origin the handheld cnc router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. You can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapetools.com to learn more. Now, the last episode that we filmed or recorded of the podcast, we had uh, a couple of people just wanted to, wanted to read a few comments here. One says, I have to agree with Phil that there's a world of difference between jointing a long board and a short board by hand. I also struggle with keeping the boards parallel along the length. It's a very slow process of plain check, plain check for me. And then uh, Glenn writes, a 24-inch jointer, how long are the tables? And is it really practical to face joint a 24-inch wide board? As for edge jointing, even though I have a 6-inch jointer, I do most of it mine on the table saw and then uh, Rolf thinks that you should paint your jointer pink make it a lady tool
1: (laughs) why do we have to gender the color pink yeah come on it could be anybody's color
2: I think pink is a beautiful color so I, I guess my response to those questions are I think you could face joint a 24 inch wide board but I think
0: what do you guys think two people or three people (laughs) <laughs> like i mean like I power feed like, yeah i mean you'd mm. almost need a power feeder if you wanted to get because i think you'd have to have three like one on the yes. infeed and one on the outfeed end and somebody actually sitting on the panel right just well, to okay. keep consistent pressure yeah that's, well that was basically just question. like a,
1: a treadmill just stand on it and somebody's <laughs> like
0: pushing it with their feet
2: well that that's my next question is okay so if you have somebody on the board you're above the cutter head. Do you sacrifice your feet or your butt? Do you sit on it or do you stand mm. on it? If something would go wrong.
0: I mean, you, can you, rather... get you can get artificial feet. I don't think you can get an artificial butt. That's yeah. true. I don't know.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: I don't know. You find a donor. So let donor. Kardashians and see. Yeah.
2: <laughs> There's plenty to go around. Uh, uh, yeah. No, I did. I I dropped the head off this week at Bird, or last week at Bird, to have a helical head made, so it's happening.
0: All right. Whether it's a good idea
2: or not, we haven't haven't come up with that answer yet.
0: I saw that there is an engine hoist in the shop now. There is? I bought an engine hoist. (laughs) And I also noticed that there was a little bit of disassembly that had been started, so... A couple of knobs, Um, like the little clamps that hold the tables on.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, why I did that, um, is because those entire table beds slide back and forth. Right. So like the tables themselves set on dovetail ways that sit on castings and those entire castings slide. So I wanted to, before I, um, because you're, I think your dad, actually, I sent out that, um, catalog page from the original Towsley and your dad had pointed out that the maximum depth of cut was three quarters of an inch on it. I also noticed that on that catalog page, it says it gives you a specification that at one eighth of an inch depth of cut, the in- feed and outfeed tables are an inch and three eighths apart. Oh, So there's wow. an inch and three eighths gap between the infeed and outfeed tables. That seems really tight for me. To me, for that a uh, for that big of a cutter head. So right. I what I did is I took those knobs off and I used a couple of our big F clamps to pull the tables back together, to where oh, sure. the gap was at the right width. So then I could measure the height because I have to have bearing blocks cast for this thing. But yeah. I, I kind of had the cart before the, the horse. Surprise, surprise, with me. Uh, I need to know the cutter diameter from bird to calculate center height for
0: bearings. So that's why the knobs were taken apart, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Now here's so, a question that I have related to your jointer. Yep. Uh, we've done uh, a technique and then uh, Vince did a video, cause I had always sort of poo-pooed the idea of rabbiting on a jointer. Yeah. Because it just seemed like it just was like the Ronco effect of a jointer. It's like, what else can we do with this tool? Sure. And, But with your jointer at being able to take a three quarter inch depth of cut, like say you don't even like, let's discount (laughs) the actual taking a three quarter inch jointed pass on your jointer. However, if you have that kind of flywheel effect from the cutter head, Rabbiting on that jointer now becomes a serious option,
2: I believe. Oh, I think so, too. Um, I am missing the rabbiting arm. So there's the arm that bridges the user operator side bearing. It mounts on the infeed table and bridges around to the rabbiting lip. Um, I don't know how necessary that is. I think you could do it without it.
0: You yeah, think? but I also feel like you could probably, you could shop notes that and make something out of plywood and plastic laminate. I, and I think so. Yes, um, but you're right.
2: Like that becomes a because why set up like, another Because it's like screw you, dado blade. It?
0: I can just do this yeah, on the well, jointer. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, like then, then it's like okay, I just leave a fence in because the way the fence operates on this jointer is there are. I think three or four sets of hole threaded holes in the table. So you actually, you know, to get that big a throw on the fence, 24 inches, you have to have yeah. four different positions. Kind of like, a like some of our shop notes, router tables are, yeah. um, you yeah, just leave the fence in that furthest most position that still gives you an eight inch wide jointer, which is bigger than most people's jointers and you then can just slide that fence into the rabbiting position. Um I I think it I think it makes it much more um legitimate to rabbit on
0: it. So. Hmm. And that's what we're looking for is legitimate rabbits. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Something we can bring to the table. Yeah. Like roasted rabbits.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, speaking of the guy mentioned uh, doing short boards, joining short boards. What's the shortest board you will use on the jointer? Six feet and go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with a, a inch and three eighths inch opening, would you do like a three inch board? Just like no, <laughs> nope. Because uh, I had a, I had a board that was probably or a piece that was like. Maybe nine inches yesterday, and I was like, mm, I'm not doing that on the joiner see because I like, will the shortest you would i go?
2: will with that 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 jointer pad that we have in the shop next to the laguna the one with the the like the mm-hmm. tote and the knob up front I will because sure. to me if as long as the board is as long as that pad is I'm good with it because I can keep okay. downward pressure on the back end and yeah. it's not like it's gonna nose dive into the cutter eggs I think that's probably the the biggest concern, right? Is that it's going to nosedive into the cutter mm-hmm. head. And I think as long as that pad covers the service area of the piece, you know, I would say eight or nine inches. I don't, th- I mean, anything shorter than that goes in the burn barrel, unless it's right. like super figure. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would say probably for me, it's probably more like 12 inches, but I would agree with Logan on that, you know, having that joiner push block that we have mm-hmm. makes it, feel a lot more comfortable I remember watching one of our shop craftsmen years ago jointing narrow strips so it was like 10-12 inches long and they were like 5 eighths inch square yeah. Ooh, that makes Ooh. my fingers tingle yeah it does <laughs> it was, I could feel it like from the other side of the shop I was yeah. just and he was just like eep, eep, oh, no big deal <laughs>
2: see i feel like that's when you whip out like the like the The chopstick maker yeah oh yeah i mean yeah like there's better ways to (laughs) do that (laughs) (laughs) i have one of those like yeah Yeah. there's better ways to
0: do this yeah than that Hmm. so can you use the chopstick maker for making wands asking for a friend
2: Square ones, and they would be very delicate. They'd be more like orchestra batons, which Mm -hmm. is a niche market. I did not know this until I got on TikTok. There are people that legitimately make like orchestra batons for the conductor. Is he called a conductor? Conductor, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so they'd be really dainty.
0: Yeah. I was just wondering, like, what's the Mac? So the... Chopstick maker is to make a specific size. It's not. It's to make seven millimeter. All really correct.
2: Seven millimeter chopsticks. You can, you can switch it between, um, the Japanese and Chinese style chopsticks, which have a different taper to them. So they go from seven millimeter either down to like three millimeter or five millimeter. So one of them has fatter ends. I don't remember which one's which. Um, I use the fat end ones, so I don't stab my myself in the mouth as I eat.
0: Right. So, this is just a random product request then for Bridge City is to make a version of the Chopstick Maker but for wands. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just a little bit bigger. Maybe a little longer. Or is that a Shop Notes project? Or it's maybe a Shop Notes project, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Blockclad
1: so Wand Maker. Is that... A Mexican chopstick then? If it's for wands. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna see myself out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, John Doyle. Oh. Welcome
1: to the last
2: episode of the Chop Podcast. <laughs> i hope if we go out we go out on something like that (laughs) oh and nate better not take that out oh my gosh
0: suspended with pay for the rest of the day (laughs) yeah yep you you know i'm gonna take the Uh, the rest of the week off
2: oh my gosh that was great (laughs) (laughs) all right this is a short podcast yeah it is
1: (laughs) we made about 10 minutes
2: so okay no, like, I don't know if Phil had an agenda for this, but I have a tangent. Okay. Um, do you guys think there is a recognizable style of furniture that comes from South America? Now, I asked this for two reasons, because of the wand maker. Uh, and two, because I know that um, our friends at Tools for Opportunity are okay. doing one of their big sales this weekend. Um, nope. And tools for opportunity uh, basically sends tools down and people down to um, like Honduras or El Salvador. I don't know if they do like different countries or if they are all the same country, um, but to help um, promote craftsmanship in some of these countries and, and teach uh, uh, some of the locals um, a, a trade that they can start making a living at. Um, so kind of a you know i'm getting this question from two different angles like you know thinking about you know there's there's a very french style of furniture um there's a very um you know uh, norwegian style of furniture is there like a south american style of furniture that you guys can conjure Mm -hmm. a picture of in your head
1: there's probably several styles of south american furniture yeah yeah I mean, there's, that's like saying, is there a European style of furniture? True. I mean, yeah.
2: Well, and uh, and and is it is it a is it just that I have not been exposed to it, so I and uh, we are not aware of it, right. and maybe there's this like huge <clears throat> culture of different furniture styles that like you'd find from England, but from mm-hmm. Brazil or something.
0: Right. Yeah. I believe there is because I think there was something uh, the Lost Art Press blog a few years ago one of their contributors had done some historical research on, I think it was like workbench styles okay, of, and then had kind of got lost in the, in the Spanish colonial era What's in Central and Shores. South America. No, it was, uh, <laughs> uh, Suzanne Ellison. Okay. She's done some, done some work with them. Um, but I think also there was some furniture that went with it, but I've also seen a lot of what Tools for Opportunity does, the, some of the craftspeople that they work with yeah. and their products. And to me, it the stuff that they produce has kind of a like the old mission style furniture, not necessarily okay. arts and crafts, sure. but mission style, but with a lot more really bold, distinctive uh, turned and sculptural elements in it. So if you mix kind of a a gothic-y mission sort of blending, but like John said, I'm sure that there's probably, you know, just as much high-end contemporary Mm clean-lined furniture and projects being made as. As there are, you know, vernacular <laughs> rustic pieces too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that'd be interesting. I, so, if anybody has any any of the listeners, you have any links for uh, cool crafts people in Central and South America, send them our way. I would love to see some of that stuff. Bonus points if your name's Juan. <laughs>
2: um, you know what's you know what's also really cool to me and i've said this before is how exotics to us are domestic species to others you know what i mean right um like i have recently i mean you guys know that i'm a a antique store thrifter type guy looking for tools mainly recently i have started looking more like furniture pieces to try to get ideas for projects for pop wood and stuff but what i've also started looking at and i've done this in the past but it's been I have had better finds lately for some reason is that walking around and, and finding, um, you know, you, you guys know what those like, um, desert ironwood sculptures are where it's like a, a quail or a, a marlin or whatever, mm-hmm. that type yeah. of thing where they're, they're probably, they're probably considered like touristy type items. Yeah. But, so a lot of times they are made out of like really nice exotics. Like I don't have it on me. I don't remember why my wife put it, but I found a little, um, carved like, um, uh, it looks like a, like a Vishnu or something like, like a, like a Hindu God, um, little idol. It's maybe a foot tall. It's made out of moon ebony. And I found it in a hmm. thrift store here for like four bucks. And I bought it just cause it's like, I mean, it's it's like hand carved. It's gorgeous. Uh, and when I was down in Nashville last week, I stopped at the... I needed to take a break in my 10-hour drive, so I stopped at the Corvette, the National Corvette Museum Antique Mall. Um, and I found some ebony bowls there. Hmm. Um, oh. I didn't buy them, um, but they were like, you know, kind of shallow bowls, but they were made out of ebony. And it's like, this is like super cool that... I mean, somebody made them, obviously, to sell in the tourist industry. Sure. But like... For me to buy a piece of ebony to make that bowl would be like 180 bucks, you know, mm-hmm. at least. Um, right. So I just find that fascinating. Like thinking about, you know, South American furniture, you know, you're probably getting into a lot of mahoganies, a lot of teaks, um, you know, just it's mm-hmm. just fascinating.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of what you could make from an ebony bowl other than a smaller bowl. It's probably yeah, why you did I mean, buy it. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. You I, really was like, uh, nah. I was like,
2: no. It's like you could use it for like it was it was shallow enough that you could get some decent like half inch thick flat pieces out of it. But it's like I got enough of that somebody mm-hmm. else will buy it and appreciate it for a bowl. They won't know what right. it is probably, but um, yeah. I like ah, I could slice some veneer out of this if I wanted.
0: Yeah, or plugs. You know, if you were doing yeah. small mm-hmm. turned knobs or something uh, like yeah. that, you could yeah. probably.
2: And it was it was a it was actually a really sappy piece of um, it was a really sappy piece of ebony, which was maybe why it was used. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, this little carved idol I have here, I'll, I'll put a picture up on the um, show notes page. Um, the uh, it, it's interesting because if you look from the top down, it it's in the shape of a triangle, like a round of firewood would be after you have split it. So it's almost mm. like somebody was. You know, went out to a firewood pile, grabbed a piece, and hand carved this thing um, because it's that cross section. And it's like, is somebody really like burning ebony for firewood somewhere? Because that hurts my soul a little bit. Um, But if it's, I guess, if it's like shorts or low grade stuff, you know, maybe.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. At some point, ebony gets too small and becomes scrap. It becomes black dust is what it becomes for filler.
2: <laughs> <Yep>.
0: <laughs> so I've been working, you know, last episode, we talked about gluing up my tabletop and I have since got it all glued up and smoothed out, put a coat of oil over the top of it. And... Uh, In the smoothing process, I really came to appreciate a tool that I had made a long time ago, and because I was trying to use my hand planes as much as possible on it, and I was just having a hard time, because of all the undulating grain and grain direction reversals, avoiding tear out, even with super light cuts and sharp blades and that sort of thing. But I had made a, a cabinet scraper based off of like a flooring cabinet scraper. I'm, I'll put a picture of it for people on YouTube. You can see it. Uh, sometimes called like a ram's horn scraper. And I had got a a blade from Veritas. That's like a replacement blade for the Stanley number eighty cabinet scraper. And put a really. Spent some time really sharpening that blade, uh, putting a nice even burr on it. That was kind of fine. And then was finally able to smooth that surface the way that I felt like I should be able to before going over it with some sandpaper just to give it a consistent surface sheen. So that was kind of fun to to do. And related, I was working on a project with my dad this weekend in... uh, One of my uncles got a whiskey barrel and wanted to turn it into a table for out in his garage where you can have people over and watch football games and stuff like that. So he asked my dad to make a top that would go over the whiskey barrel, kind of like a donut, sit flush with the top so you could still see the head of the barrel that would have like a piece of plexiglass or glass over the top of it. And uh, so my dad brought down some white oak matches the whiskey barrel and we glued it up used a big router trammel to turn the circle fun fact barrels are not perfectly round Hmm. who Hmm. knew or at least this one wasn't so cutting the inside circle required a certain amount of fine tuning but in in gluing it up we did our That's okay. (laughs) In gluing up the top, we had some unevenness. So I had a hand plane that I used to kind of basically level things out, but you still get plane tracks and whatever. So I went over it with that cabinet scraper, and it was just a delight to be able to take care of most of that, you know, those surface imperfections that you can just come back with some sandpaper Mm -hmm. and clean up the edge. That was really, really fun.
2: Does that ram's horn work any different, you think, than like a number 80?
0: Uh, fundamentally, I don't think so. No. Okay. I will say we have, uh, I think we have the Veritas version of the number 80. And what I like about that is that the toe of that is larger than the number 80, you know, like on yeah. mine, even mine is relatively small. You know, I have yeah. maybe three quarter of an inch or seven eighths before mm-hmm. I get to the, to the mouth. And the version that I was modeling this after, it was a commercial version, but their toe piece that kind of pinches the blade in place is cast. So the whole body is metal and then you have like this L-shaped mouth or toe piece on it. And I can see where that's helpful because the front edge of mine, you know, I have, mine's made out of some really cool quarter or really curly cherry that I was left over from a door project that I made, but
2: Tell me you're fancy without telling me you're fancy.
0: Right. Yeah. It's more Uh, like I'm cheap and I didn't really want to buy a cabinet scraper, so I made one. I meant your curly
2: cherry door.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. No, that was actually just a and I didn't even know it was curly at the time. I made it for my entry door for my brother and sister in law. Oh, that's awesome. And it was like You know you just i had to buy a certain length board and it was the top edge of it was all just Mm -hmm. went all curly and wavy so i made a clock out of one part of it and then a scraper out of the other part
2: yeah you know so i have a um i don't have any no I, i i think i have a number 80 sitting in my like restore pile
0: yeah um
2: but i don't have a scraper holder that i use regularly i do have one of the um I think it's the Stanley number twelve, the one with the variable degree pitch and the the two handles off to the side, and it oh, has yeah, a yeah. rosewood. Soul. Rosewood sole yeah. on it, yeah. Um, and I should I should clean it up um, and and see how it works. Um, I've thought about for a while getting the Lee Nielsen scraper plane. Um, they're like I think it's their one twelve. I might be wrong on that. The number. big one. The big one. We have one in the shop. We have one above Chris's bench.
0: Oh Um, yeah. Um, And I have one. Oh, do you? To go to a home, like what
2: model or what brand? Lee Nielsen. Oh, you do. Oh, yes. Well, so what I was going to say now is, I've never been impressed with how that Lee Nielsen one worked in the shop. (laughs) So I don't know, I would, I would, maybe it's, it's like most of our shop tools because it's everybody's as nobody. So it might just need a good, good tuning and a good sharpening. Right. So, yeah, but no, I, I have over the last couple of years, I don't know if I ever told you guys this, the very first tool I ever bought myself was in high school. Um, it was, this, I bought a set of three Lee Nielsen cabinet scrapers. Okay. And the reason I bought them is because I was making my mom a clock, a woodsmith clock, the one with the little drawer on the front oh, yeah. out of curly maple, exactly the same as the woodsmith one. Um, and I couldn't get anything to deal with terror. and I heard cabinet scrapers worked great. And I thought it was super, tool, super cool buying a fancy Lee Nielsen hand tool, even though they're scrapers in high school. Um, and I still have them. Um, but I've gained a new appreciation for them over the last, I'd say really over the last year, um, watching how David Marks uses them, um, when I was down in his shop. And then I was just down with, um, Charles Brock. Um, some people might recognize him from, um, the Highland Woodworker show he puts on. Um, it goes out on Vimeo and YouTube and stuff. Um, he had a set and I didn't know they made these. He had a set of these Stu Mac. Scrapers, um, for doing his chair seats. So so Chuck does oh. um, Chuck does like Malouf style rockers. Now Chuck has his own little twist on them. Um, right. but after he's done shaping the seat, he comes back with these scrapers. I thought my blue spruce scrapers were thick. These things are every bit of three sixteenths inch thick, maybe thicker. Um, but they're small because they're they're like luthery ones, right? That's uh, what StuMac sells is Luthry stuff. They're, yeah. they're like that big, but man, you sharpen them on the grinder with a CBN wheel, and they are razor blades. Like they are pretty oh. cool. I looked at I looked at when I'm standing in the shop watching museum. I looked at them on StuMac. They're like 45 bucks a piece, which seems a little pricey. I don't think I don't think my Blue Spurs ones were that much, um, but they're they were pretty nice. I uh, I have I've gained a new appreciation for scrapers over the last year.
0: Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I love scrapers. I use them in all sorts of ways, and I have a couple of them that I've just ground or cut into different profiles to to tackle stuff, and it's it's my favorite tool for smoothing out stuff. Special shout-out to Shaper Tools. They make that Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC that lets you do all kinds of cool stuff with your woodworking, whether it's joinery and construction or hardware installation or inlay and marquetry, all that kind of stuff. You can check out their site, shapertools.com, to learn more.
2: The one one tool that I've wanted to... I haven't ever seen. No, fine woodworking. I think did a article recently on that Stanley number eighty one box scraper. The the oh, yeah. long handle one for like removing labels off of shipping crates is what they say. Oh um, yeah. Like and I I I have a couple of them and I've just never given them any mind. But I wonder if they would be good for like scraping glue. I and mean, we use carbide scrapers in the shop, and I don't have a carbide scraper. Phil, you have the uh, the one from Bench um, Benchcrafted, Benchcrafted. Right? yeah, yeah. And I don't have a carbide scraper like that. I wonder if those would work well for glue. I'd like to hear if anybody uses one of them. I mean, I would yeah. think they would. They just probably
0: won't hold an edge very well. But uh, it's probably not too bad. Yeah. Because so I know we have the. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say,
1: speaking of, uh, you said the first tool you ever bought and not holding an edge. That reminds me of the first tool I ever bought. I'm putting in quotes because I believe it was from Menards free after rebate. Yep. When I was in high school, <laughs> was a set of chisels. And, uh, they had the cheapest black, like plastic handles. And I'm not sure what was softer, the, the plastic on the handles or the actual <laughs> metal of the blade. And I think yeah. I still have them cause I use them for just like, if I want to ruin a chisel, this is the right. chisel to use. So I think they have serrated <laughs> blades now, just little chips all yeah. over them and never been sharpened, you know? Yeah. Still got them. Still are got they, my first tool. Are,
2: are they Tool Shop brand?
1: Uh, yeah, I believe so. So they're they're yeah. guaranteed for life. I'm not sure whose <laughs> <they>? life, but
2: <laughs> uh, I feel like Menards got rid of Tool Shop brand for the most part, didn't yeah. they? Because it's I think like so. everyone knows I, that it's yeah. crap, so let's rebrand it as right. Master Force. <laughs> yeah.
1: Master Force, yeah. They were probably paying out too many of the warranties, so they had to like. Hmm bankrupt that brand and put it into a different <laughs> name it was bought out it was bought out by master force
0: you know yeah so i've actually found a tool shop half inch wide chisel in the road a handful of years ago and it's probably somebody who just frustrated with it and just mm-hmm. threw it out their window but uh, i took it home yanked the handle off of it and i ground it into a skew chisel yep Mm-hmm. Put a new handle on it, and I think by grinding back far enough off of the original edge, that I actually got halfway decent steel because it, it holds a decent edge for a while. And, or, yeah,
2: or yeah. And as often Sorry. as you
0: end up using a skew chisel, yeah.
2: or you nice. heated it up enough that you actually retempered the steel. <laughs> 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 you actually hardened this deal like it, by grinding yeah.
0: it. <laughs> might have been that also yeah you ground off the
1: lead tip of it
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which by the way so I uh I found a have you guys ever seen the lead planes um for lead type have you ever seen those
0: Mm-mm. no
2: okay so I found one um actually I, I I think I told you guys um, our former shop craftsman, Dana. uh, He had a friend, um, him and his wife had a a friend of theirs, a couple that um, the husband had just passed away. He passed away last year and he was a, he was a craftsman. He was a woodworker. He was an artist. Um, So Dana offered to help Nancy uh, clean out her shop or clean out um, Jack's shop. Um, So Dana, he Jack had a lot of hand tools. So he invited me to, to, to come in and help him kind of figure out what was what, what was worth selling, um, what we needed to sell online versus, you know, locally and stuff. And Jack had a lot of stuff. Like, he had some really weird stuff. Um, he had some kind of cool vintage stuff. Um, and I got a handful of things from him. Phil, I gave you uh, a chisel that was fairly wide from from Jack. Oh, yeah. Um, but I was... I saw this plane and I'm like, that looks like a lead shooting plane. Like... And so I went upstairs into his attic of his shop and his shop was like this separate garage type building. Um, But there was like a loft up there and you kind of felt like you're going to fall through the floor and he had a lot of wood stacked up there. Uh, But when I was up there, I found the base for it. So the, the lead shooting planes are like a weird. They're like a they're like a shooting board, but they sit over top of the type to like joint the face of the type or maybe it's like the back of the type before it would go into a printing press. Um, it was super cool to find one. I have no idea what you'd use it for because it's such a coarse plane. I mean, it's made for planing lead down, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like a coarse plane, but then there's there's actually two planes that fit onto the, the track. One of them looks like a scrub plane, so it has a pretty sharply radiused um, blade on it. But then the other one has like a float, so it's like a... You know, like a, you know, just cutting teeth, almost like a really coarse file. Right. Um, I just thought it was interesting. Um, huh. Like, I don't know what you'd use it for now. Like, and that's why I, I didn't, I didn't offer to buy it from Nancy. I did buy a handful of tools from, um, from her and from Jack uh, and stuff. I got some, some really nice um, chisels. They just say made in Holland, Swedish steel. There's no brand on them. They're pretty nice. Huh um some molding planes which is kind of cool always need more molding planes to put in my to restore pile (laughs) (laughs) but i told i did tell nancy i was like you know nancy it's it's been fun hanging out with with her and kind of learning a little bit about jack so the stuff i bought from there isn't stuff i'm gonna really sell um so i think she felt pretty good selling it to me so you know it was it was kind of cool Got a really beautiful oil stone. God, I got an oil stone that's like a calico cat. It's like super splotchy, different colors. It's pretty awesome. So
0: nice. Yeah, I, I tell myself That'd I don't cool. have
2: a problem with antique tools, but clearly the <laughs> evidence points <laughs> the other way.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like old sharpening stones just are super cool because they. Oh yeah. Often had a lot of color variation and yeah. patterning in them, so. And they're fun to use. Yeah. So in making this barrel top, tabletop thing, I, we knew it was one of those projects where it's like, how far do you go in drawing this out? So rather than having any kind of a plan for it, we used, we set up a, basically like a half sheet of OSB on sawhorses marked a center point and then just basically drew like a full size plan in marker on that piece of OSB. So that when we were, cause we made the tabletop, we were looking for like a 12 inch overhang all the way around. Okay. And we did it by basically like gluing up a wide, super wide panel for the top, rather than trying to do, like, miters all the way around, because that would have been yeah. a disaster. Um, but in doing so, we only had a few white oak boards, so we ended up, you know, cutting and slicing pieces so that we basically glued up kind of a jaggedy-looking donut, and then because yep. we didn't need the parts in the middle, because mm-hmm. we were going to cut it away anyway. So... It was just kind of interesting to think about rather than having plans for it is drawing up something like a full size template or story stick or something like that and working from that rather than working from like a paper drawing. So it's just kind of a, a different approach for building projects, which I think we've talked about in the past is like how we, you know, if you're designing something for yourself, other than the magazine, like how detailed do you go for plans and drawings
2: yeah yeah so did you guys when you guys did that thinking about the the outside shape of a barrel has some curve yeah um did you guys just route that inside edge square or did you guys chamfer it at all to try to nestle down on top of the barrel
0: um we actually did we had um uh infinity cutting tools makes a Set of I don't know if you call them chamfer bits or like polygon joinery bits.
2: Yeah, like miter bits, yeah.
0: Kind of like miter bits. So I, I would call it a, a chamfer bit, but they have them in a 15-degree, 22-and-a-half, 30-degree, and 45. So I brought those home, and the slope of the barrel is more like 7-degree, so we use the 15-degree okay. bit and just relieved that bottom edge to help it you know because i wanted a relatively close fit but i wasn't because it wasn't round we weren't going for a piston fit on it there was just no way to do that
2: did did you guys did you guys know it wasn't round when you guys were routing it
0: uh we did to a certain extent but not really i mean it wasn't until we actually routed it and then you set it in place that you really see
2: oh did your dad bring the
0: barrel with you Oh, yeah, we had the barrel with oh, us, Oh, I didn't so. know
2: that. Okay, I thought you guys yeah. were making this top and then sent it up, and then I was like, oh, crap, the barrel's not round.
0: Yeah, no, no, we had the oh, barrel okay. with us. Got we were going it. mostly okay. from our pattern, but once we get, okay, you know, once we had it glued up and routed, the inner circle routed, then we were able to kind of test mm-hmm. fit. So we ended up having to, you know, shave off different parts. So yeah. did most of the work with the trammel, but then there was a lot of rasping and spoke shaving to to get it to fit. Mm -hmm. So did you get it
1: to be a pretty tight fit or do you have to like do some filling there?
0: Well, here's the thing that that I, we ended up making some, a set of four brackets that get bolted or screwed to the barrel so that it would support the top. Um, And I wanted, we were going for a relatively close fit, which is what we got. But the other thing is, is we were making it in my garage on a warm, still summerish weekend. So what I didn't want is getting a too tight fit, and right. then it's December, and then that thing squeezes around the barrel and cracks somewhere. So mm-hmm. I mean, we did use cordierite white oak, so I don't think there's going to be a ton of movement, yeah, but there's going to be there's going to be some movement, and plus being as out around and variable as it was to take the time to get that tight of a fit would have tripled the amount of time it took to get mm-hmm. to make that thing.
2: So there's a so, cost.
0: You know, like at what point do you just leave it alone? Yeah.
2: So do you do you know where this barrel came from?
0: My uncle got it somewhere, and I'm not sure where. I'd have to yeah. I'll have to. Find I was just out.
2: wondering, I, I would think that these barrels would start off as pretty round, right? Like, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I would think so. And I, mean, I don't know how yeah. old it
0: was to know.
2: Yeah, like, you'd think, a, like, a cooper is making the barrel staves, beveling the edges, right. putting them in rings, and the rings are hammered down. So, like, I mean, I'm sure they're not, like, they're not, like you know machinist round but like they have to be fairly round especially once you put those end caps on and lock them in place so i wonder if it yeah. just says if it's been moved if it got dropped when it was empty and it kind of you know racked a little bit
0: yeah which is possible
2: or is our am i just ignorant and they actually are a little out of round? they're never perfect you know i don't know
0: yeah i mean it's just got to be tight so yeah mm-hmm.
2: I think it'd be fun to make like a, I've seen some people make wooden buckets. I think that'd be kind of fun just to try it once.
0: I think so. Like,
2: ooh, Woodsmith shop challenge? Who can make the bucket that holds water the longest?
0: There you go.
1: All right. And uh, jointed with the shortest boards possible. (laughs) (laughs) The shallowest bucket. Yeah. Shortest staves.
2: I think I, I think I told you guys this. Um, I didn't know that, so white oak, there's like a dozen species that can be sold as white oak. Bur oak is what we have in Iowa. That's one of them. Um, Yeah. The barrel manufacturers will not buy bur oak, and I didn't know that. Really? It's still a white oak, but after seven years, the barrels will leak. I don't know what it is, but I've had two different log buyers tell me that barrel manufacturers will not buy white oaks because, oak or will no. not buy oaks because they will leak where a true white oak will not.
1: So any other kind is fine. Just,
2: just not, not white or just not bur oak. Yeah. Hmm. It's just, is it's kind of odd. I, I don't know if it, it must have something to do with the porosity, the porosity of the wood, but I don't mm-hmm. know why after seven years, it just decides to leak. I don't know. Mm-hmm.
1: Like the one thing that I like really remember from my forestry classes about white oaks is that the parenchyma cells will explode into the pores and like close them all off. That's how you can kind of like... tell a white oak <laughs> on the end grain. It's like when you sh- shave it, it's like really crystally and the pores are full. That's, so that's you know? like fun fact. I have no <laughs> idea. What, I have no I idea like what a parenchyma cell up. is. No, <laughs> it's like, yeah. for real. It's real. Maybe I just imagined that. Maybe I dreamt yeah. that
2: it's it's funny because the only thing i remember from my pre-med classes is that uh herpes simplex a lays dormant in the cerebral ganglion mm. i mean
1: the cerebral ganglia sure
2: yep i uh-huh. just uh-huh. i get it i i get it i understand it i understand the, the weird facts you remember
1: mm-hmm. it's like why why does that stick in my head don't know yeah just google it it's real
2: oh that's funny so, oh, you know what I uh, did bring down to Nashville with me? Um, I brought down a truckload of white pine. That was like big, like eighteen oh, yeah. inches wide. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, my buddy Rusty. Where's, where does white pine grow in Nashville? It doesn't. No, I, well, I brought it down there. Oh, down there. Oh, okay. Yeah, from here. Yeah. So it was one of those tornado trees. When yeah, yeah, yeah. when when Dirk volunteered me to help clean up this lady's property here um i took four logs and the one I, I cut two of the logs in the ship lap siding which is going to be for the inside of my shop um like maybe i don't know a wall in there i don't know something i did it i did it things happened um but then my my buddy rusty down in atlanta uh, who i was down shooting Spokeshave article with said, hi, ah, you know, I'm really having a problem finding white pine to make chair seats out of. Windsor chairs. He, he likes to do kind of, you know, post and rung on Windsor chairs and stuff. He's like, I can't find white pine. You know, he's like, well, I, he's like, I find white pine at the, the hardware store, but I can't find 18-inch wide white pine. I was like, oh, oh, oh how do you feel about a three-and-a-half-hour road trip? Because I will be in Nashville in a couple of weeks. So I, I cut him some 18-inch wide white pine, 12-foot long. Um, I, I actually ended up chopping them into sevens and fives um, for him to make chair seats out of. And he's like, you know, I was doing the calculations. I think this will last me the rest of my life. And I said, well, that's pretty low life goals. then. <laughs> Only getting 50 or chairs done in your lifetime. Rusty. <laughs> but so that was fun. Smuggling wood across state lines.
0: All right. Any other updates, John, what you've been working on?
1: Oh, the past week I've been hitting the reader's tips pretty hard, which is always fun for uh, just a little background knowledge on our reader's tips is the tradition is that like the rookie designer and editor get to do reader's tips. And I've been here for almost 18 years. In the first 10 to 12 years, I was the rookie and I went through a lot of editors and and even after we hired, I think the next person we hired was Dylan six years ago. And I'm like, no, I'm keeping reader's tips because I like them. It's like my, <laughs> it's like my craft time. Like uh, Baltic birch plywood and random pieces of hardware are my glitter and popsicle sticks. And, you know, it's just fun. It's just fun making the little gadgety prototype reader tip stuff. So
0: That's true. It is a lot like prototyping Mm -hmm. and it's an odd kind of collaboration because the reader readers will send us tip ideas and suggestions sometimes with a photo sometimes with a photo and a drawing Mm -hmm. sometimes the actual item (laughs) yep (laughs) and then when we go to create the photo props for it that you do john there is usually a an interpretation or you know streamlining of something just to mm-hmm. clean it up and or make it more generic like usually it's
1: like they're building something for a very specific like project right. or something or a very specific tool that they have so it's like i gotta I make this work for everyone right and usually it's like their their tip that they're sending in was built out of baling wire and random pieces of wood and yeah hardware they got out of the coffee can. So it's like how do I make this look pretty or prettier so yeah. for the magazine. So it's always fun to kind of see what I can come up with and use the scraps up of Baltic birch we have around here and yeah. it's fun. So well and we, we, when we, you to have to. Do. to- yeah.
2: You know, we do kind of have to be—I want to say—selective on the tips. But like, sometimes it's like, "Oh, hey, you know, look at this great tip." I had this—I had this hole under my stairs that was in the shape of a U. So here's my storage solution for it. It's like, well, you know, we're talking about making it generic for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's one of those like, okay, right. like yeah, it's cool and that worked perfect, but we can't really replicate that, and that's the, not going to have any application for most of our readers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah or we get the it's been a while I guess I haven't been on tips for a while but we get the occasional like you know hey here's my specific tool tip like you know <laughs> I happen to have a Woodmaster planer and the knob is really weird so instead of using that knob I use this instead it's like oh okay
1: yeah but you know what? sometimes we're des- desperate enough
2: We'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that is true. Sometimes we're scraping the bottom yeah. of the barrel.
1: Yeah. And sometimes they're maybe not that like practical or useful tip, but they're really interesting. So it's just like, you yeah. know what? That's cool. We'll share that. Yeah. So.
0: Which I think is part of the reason that readers tips. I mean, you know, we always say that that's the most popular part of the magazine. And I think part of the reason that it's popular is, that these are short little things Mm -hmm. you know any one of them takes 48 seconds to read but i think there's a there's a certain wily coyote ingenuity to them and cleverness Um, and you're right it is kind of a cabinet of curiosities of of ideas some of them are Mm -hmm. super cool and we've incorporated them either into our own shop practice here or they get modified and and adapted into a larger project or whatever but it's mm-hmm. they're still fun.
2: There's some gems in there. <laughs> Those are the ones that hang around.
0: Yep. <laughs> Logan, how's your walnut project coming?
2: Um, so I I sold the I sold my cleanest boards to somebody. <laughs> so now I gotta find now I gotta find some so my my project that I'm working on isn't really slated for, it's gonna be for pop wood but it's not I don't really have a time frame on it which is not a good thing but it's also a good thing if you know what I mean Um, right. I'm working on this nine drawer dresser so it's gonna be a low shaker dresser um, f- three banks of three drawers each um, it's gonna match my nightstands so it's gonna be a, a mitered a dovetail mitered case Um, with nine drawers in it, sitting on a little base, um, haven't decided exactly what the base is going to be, but I'm probably going to marry my, uh, sleigh bed that I built. I'm going to probably marry some of the same type of base elements out of that with the dresser, um, which is matching my nightstand. So it'll kind of, it'll kind of tie the the bed and the nightstands together. Um, I have the side panels glued up. They're sitting in the photo studio. Um, I need—I don't really care about the bottom. The bottom can be like super nasty walnut for all I care right. because you're not going to see it. Um, yeah. However, the top I need to find walnut in my stash that is um, clean and clear. Cause I want the top to be pretty clean, um, and it needs the, the real—the real kicker is not necessarily it needs to be clean and clear um, because I have a lot of stuff that would be considered clear if you cut it to four or five foot but when you start looking for an 80 inch long piece these things gonna be 80 inches so i need to find stuff that's clean um that is that long now i did have a skid loader here last week and i moved around some of my lumber stacks out in the yard and i found some walnut that i remember cutting and it looks pretty clean it's not kiln dried it's air dried which is fine I'm cool with um, I have no issue yeah. with that um, so I actually need to go dig through that and see if I can get enough out of it and you know I'm thinking it's it's 20 inch deep 80 inches long that sounds like a really big section of clean and clear but the side panels I glued up out of four boards each that were five inches so it's not bad when you break it down into those four inch or five inch pieces so, um, that's my next step is going to be, I'm going to be, I think, kind of juggling this project build along with the jointer rehab article. So it's kind of, I'm going to kind of be jumping back and forth between the two. I think, um, the, the biggest thing with doing these big mitered cases or just doing the dovetails, um, sure. you know, that's all that's like the longest thing. Cause I do prefer to do those by hand. I could do them with, um, I could do them with a router jig, um, but I prefer to hand cut them and it just takes time. So, yeah. and I gotta find a step stool so I can cut the dovetails on the ends of an 80 inch board. <laughs> you know, it's like, didn't think that one over real well. <laughs> I, don't I don't know, maybe I'll mount the Moxon vise vice on top of like the, the tool cabinet or something. There we go. So perfect. It's a reader tip, John. Just dig a
1: hole. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. put the other, you know, down in the mm-hmm. hole.
2: Yeah, right, it's like, the, the, yeah, the, it's like the, the mechanics pit mm-hmm. type. It's your dovetail pit. Yep.
1: Right. That's how the Egyptians did it anyways. Oh, I yeah. I think so, that's yeah. That's true.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I could probably actually hang the... And now that I'm thinking about it, I could probably clamp the moxen vise to my railing out here on deck and hang the board over the edge. And Problem then I Problem
1: solving. Up. Yes. You got it.
0: So... It's like digging a hole, but without digging a hole.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. Good idea. A walkout basement workbench. That's right. All right. I'm still working on my table. I'll be working on the starting in on the base here. I'm going with a kind of a hay rake style stretcher assembly on it. That was kind of popularized with some arts and crafts pieces, but the, uh, Since I'm going with a mid-century look, I'm going to streamline it a little bit. So that'll be kind of a fun, fun process to show and work through. So otherwise, I think that wraps it up for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Special thanks to Shaper Tools for sponsoring today's episode. They make that handheld CNC you've probably seen around called the Origin. Uh, They have a special deal going on right now. You can try it in your shop risk-free for 30 days to just give it a test drive and find out all the things that it can do from hardware installation, joinery, and inlay, and all that kind of stuff. They have some really cool accessories that go with it as well. You want to check it out at shapertools.com. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week on the Shop Notes podcast. Bye.